G'day. Welcome to the Get Healthy Cancer and Exercise podcast. This is a podcast uh, presented via the RSEGP and with um, the services of people who know about oncology and exercise. Let me introduce you to the people who will be speaking. It's David Mizrahi and Philip Crispin, and I'm Linda Mann. David, tell us about yourself. Thanks so much, Linda. I'm an exercise physiologist and a research fellow at the Daffodil Centre, which is a new venture between Cancer Council New South Wales and the University of Sydney. My research focuses on the role of exercise for cancer patients and survivors, both during and after treatment in both adults and children. I have other roles as well, um, such as I'm the chair of the uh, Exercise and Cancer Committee uh, for the Clinical Oncology Society of Australia. And I'm a strong advocate for uh, improving access to care for cancer patients in terms of uh, ensuring that they receive adequate exercise support so they can improve their quality of life and clinical outcomes. Philip, tell us who you are. Thanks, Linda. Hi, I'm uh, Philip Crispin. I'm a hematologist, a clinical hematologist. I work in the clinics treating hematological malignancy patients and non-malignant hematology. I also work in the uh, clinical hematology laboratory. I'm an associate, a clinical associate professor at the Australian National University, um, and I'm also the clinical lead of oncology for Southern New South Wales Local Health District. Tremendous. The uh, learning outcomes for today are these. Your knowledge of, ev- knowledge of evidence to support exercise as a safe and effective intervention for cancer care will, be, will increase. You'll understand the benefits of exercise on patient outcomes, including mental health, quality of life and fatigue, at different stages of the cancer journey. So we're talking about active treatment and survivorship. We'll understand how to discuss the important role of exercise in cancer recovery. And we'll have a better awareness that the Get Healthy service provides access to health coaches, including accredited exercise physiologists, who can support patients to become more physically active and will have knowledge of how to refer patients to the Get Healthy service. Exercise for patients with cancer sounds like a good thing. Is there evidence? Is there something that is actually recommended that we professionals should be doing? David, can you answer that? Yeah, there's, there's been so much of a boom in terms of the exercise and cancer research in the last 10 years. We're talking about large observational studies and randomized control studies and, and systematic reviews and meta-analyses that support the benefits in terms of patient function, um, patient-reported outcomes and clinical outcomes. And just recently, the Clinical Oncology Society of Australia, the, the peak um, professional organization in Australia for oncology, has was developed the, the world's first... Um, uh, recommendations and position statement uh, on exercise and cancer care. They, they call for exercise to be embedded as standard practice in cancer care um, to counteract the side effects of treatments. They recommend for all the members of the multidisciplinary team to be promoting physical activity uh, when they see the patient. And then best practice is to refer uh, patients to an exercise physiologist or a physiotherapist with experience in cancer care for patients with complex needs who thinks who think will benefit from it. Now, they have come up with some suggestions and recommendations for uh, the amount of exercise to achieve. And that's uh, basically the similar to the, the general 
uh, recommendations by the government for the general population, which is to strive towards 150 minutes of moderate uh, intensity um, aerobic exercise, like walking or jogging or cycling or swimming, uh, or 75 minutes of vigorous intensity exercise, exercise that really stimulates your, um, your heart rate and your breathing. Uh, in addition, to strive towards two to three sessions a week of resistance exercise, which is anything like lifting weights, body weight, uh, band type exercises, um, or uh, in the gym with um, dumbbells. Um, now, I stress as well that um, something is better than nothing. So not to be put off by this large number if it seems unrealistic. So to start with a small amount and then to slowly walk towards that um, is a really great way to uh, improve your uh, physical function and, and patient reported outcomes and, and, and clinical um, prospects. Philip, that sounds daunting. Is that really what oncologists think? Uh, yes, I think it is, uh, Linda. I think one of the difficulties that we have is, uh, and we've mentioned overwhelm uh, when patients come in, there's so much going on um, that it's very hard to make sure we tick all the boxes to make sure patients achieve their best, the best care we can deliver. And so having these guidelines, I think, is really helpful to uh, make sure that we can uh, aim for the, the, the best care. Now, uh, I think, as David said, uh, sometimes uh, we need to moderate our expectations based on what people people can achieve. And I think as clinicians, we also need to be uh, mindful of the therapies that we're putting people through. Uh, I, for example, use very high doses of dexamethasone in myeloma patients. And uh, it's really important that we try to aim to uh, get strengthening exercises around the proximal muscles to avoid proximal myopathy in those early stages. So, so tailoring it to our, our patients' needs. Uh, the, our guidelines, as always, are, are there to help us and assist us in providing general advice. Uh, and we need to be able to take that and tailor it uh, to our patient in front of us. Philip, can you tell us how people in your practice benefit from exercise? Yeah, thanks. Uh, I guess uh, when people are coming into uh, the haematology clinic or the oncology clinic, um, they really are looking for uh, often how they can help themselves. And we often get this question, what can I do? Uh, often framed around, what, what should I eat? Um, but there's actually more to it than that. Uh, so uh, we, we have good evidence that patients who uh, exercise both before, during and after treatment have better outcomes in terms of their physical fitness, their ability to tolerate therapy, uh, particularly with, ex with um, uh, fatigue associated with the cancer and its treatments, and also the ability to recover quickly from treatment. And potentially that can in influence our ability to deliver therapy at uh, optimum uh, uh, levels. Apart from uh, affecting the quality of life, does it make any difference to the cancer journey in terms of the cancer itself? Well, this is uh, a bit controversial, uh, Linda. Uh, there are certainly some uh, cancers where it appears to be the case, uh, particularly the more common cancers of, uh, of breast cancer and prostate cancer, two cancers that are very hormonally dependent. Uh, there is quite good evidence that having uh, exercise does help to uh, assist outcomes, particularly in terms of uh, cancer recurrence. Uh, indeed, people with uh, what I, I guess we call a healthy lifestyle with 
um, more exercise in it uh, tend to have a lower incidence of, of these cancers and, and better outcomes. In some other cancers, it is, it, it's less clear that it has an impact on, on uh, cancer uh, progress or treatment outcomes. Uh, we certainly don't think that, that, cancer, that cancer can be uh, treated effectively on its own, for example, by uh, exercise. We're, we're very keen on it, but it's, it's clearly not, not going to go that far. Uh, but it's certainly in, in most uh, populations where it's been looked at, it does have significant effects on, on quality of life. So yes, there are, there are some populations where it may impact actually cancer outcomes. David, what kind of, care, of exercise are we talking about? Yeah, so it's a great question, Linda. And I think it's really important to individualize the type of exercise to the needs of the person. So what our peak body in Australia, COSA recommends is that people strive towards a combination of aerobic exercise, which is anything cardiovascular based. So things like walking or cycling or swimming. Um, so up to 150 minutes a week. And then also two sessions of resistance type exercise. So that can be body weight exercise. Uh, with, you can use bands, you can use weights as well. Um, there are also other types of exercises that also could be beneficial to patient symptoms. So things like balance exercise can be important, particularly for older patients who are at risk of falling and fractures or for those who develop peripheral neuropathy. Uh, yoga is a fantastic uh, strength-based core type exercise. It also has mind-body benefits, and that's also really quite popular. And also we can think about um, types of other types of exercise like hydrotherapy, uh, water-based exercise, which can also be really beneficial for patients, again, who have stability problems. So there really is a wide variety of exercise types uh, that are beneficial. And to me as a clinician, I think it's probably most important to just find something that people will enjoy so we can ensure that they have good prolonged lifestyle behaviors well after they see me rather than me telling them something to do that they don't actually uh, like. I'm wondering if there are occasions when exercise should be avoided. Philip, is there any concern in terms of, for example, chemotherapy or risk from radiotherapy or any other kinds of cancer treatments uh, if a person is doing particular exercises from your point of view? There isn't any particular concern with respect to therapies um, as such. Uh, Linda, in fact, there's been uh, studies done in most of those situations, people actually having therapy and being prescribed uh, in, in large studies uh, and exercise as therapy to assist them through that, uh, both in radiation oncology and chemotherapy and immune therapy. There are some situations, I, I guess, where we have to be really very careful about how we uh, implement a exercise therapy in pe people who are unwell. And of course, people have to use a little bit of clinical judgment about how much exercise someone can, uh, can do. But I have to say, even in our, our patients going through advanced hematological malignancy treatment, such as leukemia and stem cell transplant on our ward, we still encourage people to get exercise if they're able to get out of bed. And we have people coming around to assist them with some uh, light uh, in-bed resistance training while they're going through therapy. So as long as it's appropriately targeted, I think we can be confident that our patients can, can safely do that. David, as a GP, I don't know that I would feel confident to be very helpful and specific about these different parts of the cancer journey. 
how would an exercise physiologist vary their advice on such a journey? Yeah, it really depends on what the patient is currently, where they're up to in their, their treatment experience. Are they it's just the start of their treatment or are they finished treatment? Do they have a lot of symptoms? And the exercise physiologist will prescribe exercise according to an assessment that they'll conduct on them. They'll look at their fitness and their strength and other issues like balance, and they'll target exercise according to that. Um, for example, if they're going throughout treatment, something that I like to do is to individualize the treatment to their symptoms that they experience throughout each chemotherapy cycle. And we call that chemotherapy periodized exercise, where the volume of exercise we give, so that the duration and the intensity will fluctuate based on the fatigue or other types of symptoms that patients have. So they might have a couple of good days in a row whilst they're recovering from their chemo, and they might have a couple of, uh, we call them down days, essentially, where we prescribe a a lower amount of exercise in that time. But what I like to promote is something is better than nothing. And even if it's just a five-minute walk around the block or five squats in a chair, it's still something rather than doing nothing. And it's important to increase confidence uh, in patients, even in the down days, that they can do something. Is there a particular time that would be the best time for us to get you on board? Yeah, so, I mean, we hear that a lot. Some people will say, oh, we'll just wait till after treatment. And, you know, that could be six months. That's a really long time. And in that time, people will have a lot of muscle loss and fitness loss. So really, uh, you know, getting people involved from the beginning um, essentially can help mitigate that physical decline um, and, and set up those good positive behaviors. So that, that would be my preference. Uh, although the patients are at a particular a, a sort of higher risk during that time. So I think it is good that um, the exercise physiologist is in, very well engaged um, with the GP and potentially the oncology team if they have any clinical questions just to ensure really good care is provided for that during treatment phase. So do you think there might be a value, for example, I mean, most I make the diagnosis or the suspicion of cancer sadly often, and I know that when you present patients with, you know, information about the breast lump or an abnormal X-ray that looks like they've got bony mets or whatever the particular scenario is, what the patient wants is diagnosis and they want to get it, they want it sorted out in treatment like yesterday, like don't wait five days, can I have it tomorrow? Um, so I'm sending people to fill it real quick, especially if, for example, I think they've got leukemia. Um, I'm wondering whether or not there might be a place in the initial conversation even with GPs to say, you know, you can do better if you stay fit during this long journey you're about to have. Do you think, Philip, do you think that would be helpful for patients to give them something to hang on to just as they're about to jump into the abyss? Absolutely. I think, Lindy, you've touched on really a couple of really key issues for patients, as I'm sure you know. This this uh, gap in terms of, um, of firstly confronting a diagnosis, then what do I do next? And filling in that space when people's need to actually feel like they're contributing something to their care. And I think exercise can actually play an important role there, just in, in empowering people. We know this also from studies that people who who do engage in exercise programs do feel more empowered and able to manage their uh, cancer journey. So getting them started on that early is something they can do without having to wait for that. Uh, even if it's a short wait, can seem like a very long time uh, to, to see their, uh, their, their specialists. 
Of it, course, the other thing right. I'm just thinking as you're saying is if a person's facing surgery, there's tremendous um, reason for doing almost anything that's going to improve your you know, lung capacity and your muscle strength and all that stuff. Of course. Uh, and we know that, uh, that uh, exercise programs targeted physiotherapy can actually help to avoid uh, some surgery for benign conditions, of course, and optimising people before surgery has uh, enormous benefits in helping to get through that and make it a quicker recovery so they can they can move on to the next phase of treatment and simply tolerate the therapy better and get on with life. David, um, lovely thought. Don't know what the weight is for EPs in your environment. They're a bit longish in mine. Um, how would we make this happen in a timely way for the patient who's champing at the bit to see their consultant and has to wait two weeks, let's say, which is not a, you know, in the scheme of things, that may not be a gigantically impossible wait. But from the patient's point of view, it's anxiety producing. So if I could say, look, here's a resource, you can make things happen. We're going to talk about get healthy in a minute, but just talking about EPs and access and what we should do, what should we do, GPs? Yeah, so there's, there's a couple of things that you can do. I think at a bare minimum, just discussing the role of exercise, that it can be helpful during this time for physical, but also for psychological benefits. You know, just, just going out for a walk through a nice park, um, just to do something stimulating to yourself can take your mind a little bit away. So there's, there is physical and, and psychological benefits there. Um, I think, you know, if we're, we're, you are considering referring a patient to an exercise physiologist, that's something that you can do. You can um, activate the chronic disease management care oh, plan. No, you can't. No, you can't. They have to have had their condition for six months. For six months already, yeah. So if they have had other chronic conditions as well, then that might be appropriate for them. Mm. Um, so that is something to think about then as well, or whether you can refer a patient or just at bare minimum give out that advice. Um, you know, it might be, uh, depends on how they're, well they're coping. If they feel that they can join a gym or something, like it, it, it may be a judgment call if that's something that they feel they can do. Um, you can refer them to a lot of cancer council services. There's some really great um, programs and really great videos on their website as well. Yeah, uh, but you haven't quite got that, that diagnosis yet. That might come later. I'm wondering, I'm thinking to myself that one of the things that a GP could do would be to, in fact, um, start thinking about using the Get Healthy program. Uh, this is something that a GP can do anytime. We've got the referral resources available at our fingertips, which I'm going to talk about in a little bit. And in terms of that psychological approach of let's do whatever we can now while you're worried, this is something to start at that time, it seems to me. I Yes, Linda, look, I, I completely agree. And, and I think it, we have to be a little strategic about how we use our, our services. Um, if we were to offer everyone with, with cancer and, of course, all the other chronic diseases that we have, uh, the appropriate exercise therapy through an exercise physiologist would probably uh, very quickly um, exhaust the supply of exercise physiologists we have. And I, I guess um, the approach would be, as uh, your the listeners in, in, in general practice would, would be very familiar with, we try to utilise our resources best by targeting the more uh, complex and difficult cases, people who, who need that extra help to see people uh, like David who need the exercise physiology support. One okay. way to get access to everybody would be to use a program like Get, get Healthy. Oh. Uh, and that can start, uh, start let's, early. Let's talk uh, about it then. Excellent. 
Quite right. So what you're saying is we should start early, think about it in that time when patients are determined to do something fantastic. Um, and uh, I'm going to take a minute to talk to the audience about the Get Healthy program. So Get Healthy is a program that has many um, parts to it. That is a telephone coaching program that's available to, to patients for nothing. It's a New South Wales health supported program and I can tell you that it is helpful and useful. There are many different parts of it and the one we're talking about today refers to the cancer journey. Um, it uh, uses counsellors that are universally, university qualified health coaches, uh, including exercise physiologists, so that's actually quite a useful way of accessing that particular skill, uh, certainly in a efficient kind of fashion for the patient. Um, and the purpose of this is to talk with patients, set goals for them, or set goals with them, I should say, and then to facilitate their ability to get there by looking at what they can do and to discover easy ways to increase physical activity that fits into what they have the time for, what they've got the inclination for, and what's of interest. Um, the wonderful thing about this is that it's available to patients at their at a time that suits them over the phone, which is convenient, costs them nothing, and all we have to do is make a referral. Now, they, it's not just us that can make the referral. Patients can actually self-refer, and if that's what they would prefer, then what GPs can do is go to www.gethealthynewsouthwales.com.au and do what it says. However, we GPs are quite lucky and certainly for uh, best practice and medical director, there is already in our uh, letters the ability to fulfil a uh, request form that includes all the information, including the ability for the patient to nominate when they would like to get be contacted. Um, my experience is that about half the people that I offer this to take it up. The people that take it up find it quite helpful. Uh, I've used it for Get Healthy in Pregnancy. I've got used it for, there's an Aboriginal program I've used it for. It's not bad. It's pretty useful. And given, as um, Philip said, the uh, spread of EPs around the state is patchy and they're busy folk, how good for us to start this, press, this practice before they can get access to an in-person person if that's what they want never forgetting that the in-person person is actually going to cost them money and this doesn't. Um, it's worth considering in, from a GP point of view uh, what we, the GP, in consultation with them feel that the patient is going to get from this because you want people to have a good experience of using this resource and you don't want people who think to themselves, well, that was a waste of energy. Um, it's useful particularly as I as we've just said for people wanting to do something there may be a gap in terms of the usefulness while they're having active treatment but it's quite nice for them to have another resource i.e a health coach to have another point of opinion about I'm thinking of you know doing this particular form of exercise this is what I'm up to the doctor says it's okay from uh, my cancer point of view what do you think um, and of course once their treatment is done and what they're looking to do, the patient, is to get back on their feet and go back to being the person that they would like to be, 
This is when the Get Healthy program, in my experience, is particularly helpful. Um, Philip, can you tell us something about survivorship? Yes, it's, uh, uh, it's interesting, Linda. The traditional model that we have, I guess, in oncology is that uh, people get through their treatment and they, they'll have imaging or other tests at the end and uh, often be given the all clear and then we'll, it will see you again in three months' time. Uh, it's during that time that people uh, really need to, as you say, get back on, on their feet. And uh, taking a proactive approach to that does mean, as we'd appreciate after surgery or other significant uh, illnesses or events, a period of rehabilitation. And so while everyone doesn't need to have specialist re rehabilitation, I think everyone does need to have a focus on trying to get back to the normal they, they, they used to have. And exercise really is, by definition, uh, setting out to stress the body a little bit to enable that improvement to occur a bit, a bit faster. And so it's a, a fabulous way to get uh, people back into their, their normal uh, everyday life as quickly as possible and back to the things they'd like to do. David, can you tell us what sort of advice uh, the exercise physiologist might offer someone who is in that, okay, we've finished your treatment, you're doing fine, see you later. Well, not quite later, being a bit rude there, Philip, so sorry. See you in three months. Can you give us some ideas, David, about the sort of information the exercise physiologist is going to provide for that patient? Yeah, so we would sit down with the patient and, and go through the goals, what they would like to achieve whether that be things like getting back to work, if they have a physical type job, we would try and strive towards some of the physical tasks that they do and, and mimic those in the gym. So they would build up their strength and confidence to be able to go back to work if that's something that's, that they would like to do, which is obviously really important for a lot of people. Uh, it might be things at home as well, like being able to cook and clean and you know, this, or, or do gardening, which are quite physical tasks. So again, we would replicate those movements to build up those muscles in those areas. Or even things like lifting up their grandchild, which they might not have been able to do during the treatment. Um, and again, we can replicate that with a squat and a medicine ball, the same type of movement that you would do for picking up a child. Um, so those things are often really important um, for, for people. And if you can relate an exercise to a, to a task which is important to them, it's really, it's really good for longevity and, and adherence to, to a program. I've also worked with... Um, relapsed ovarian cancer patients who have an average survival rate of about 18 months and they're really deconditioned group who have a lot of toxicity from treatment and even those throughout their chemotherapy were having a lot of benefits in terms of again their physical function and, and mental well-being and ability to do things the things that they want to do because they were able to achieve um, their exercise targets I, I had one lady who was basically bedridden when I started with her and at the end of the program um, three months later she was able to to walk the city to surf, um, which was amazing. We were so proud of her and she was so proud of herself and she could not have seen her being able to do that um, at the start of the program. Yeah, we were really proud. It took her a long time, but she was proud. She got a coffee at the top of the hill and I, I endorsed that too. <laughs> Philip, some people are injured by their treatment. Some people develop things like peripheral neuropathy or the ever-present brain fog, my gosh, if there's a patient in the whole world that doesn't have brain fog at the moment, I'll eat my hat. Um, I'm wondering if you think that some of those sequelae of treatment uh, are open to treatment with exercise. Ah, oh, yes, Linda. And I guess we have to just think about what our treatment goals are. 
So there are some chemotherapies where you'd expect a, a neuropathy to gradually improve over time. And there are some where a peripheral neuropathy won't improve. Uh, either, either way, uh, what's important is to get the patient's function back to normal and having a, a directed exercise towards improving balance and stability is really important in these situations to help improve that. So it certainly has some benefit. In terms of brain fog, we haven't really touched uh, too much on that yet in, in this podcast, but as you say, it's, it's ever present. Um, and there's really quite good evidence we know from across the spectrum, not just in cancer therapy, but the benefit of exercise in improving people's thinking and cognition. And of course, importantly, also their emotional well-being. And so if we drop back into the, the patient who ha has just had uh, a period of time, maybe six or nine months of therapy, and then is uh, suddenly uh, perhaps uh, feels the support system they've had from uh, uh, nurses who've been following them along the way um, and ourselves in, in specialist centres, and then feels they're on their own to cope with the, the survivorship, it can be a very emotionally difficult time. And so concentrating on things that can help people's uh, uh, mental well-being, their, uh, that their mood is important. And we know exercise across the spectrum has a, a, an important role that it can play in helping people's mood. So some really good points there, Linda. David, are there particular exercises or processes that are better for mental health than others? Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, we've seen that there is a lot of benefit from doing aerobic type exercise. It's really quite um, stimulating, stimulates blood flow and brain blood brain flow. Um, there is a lot of literature coming out now in the general population that exercise has mental benefits and also for people with mental health conditions like schizophrenia and psychosis, that doing exercise like aerobic exercise on a bike um, can be really helpful for them improving their well-being. Uh, but that being said, if we do things like resistance exercise and maintain someone's function, their their ability to be able to physically do the things they want, chasing around their grandkids, doing work, um, being able to keep working, doing going to the garden, that's that's really critical for their quality of life. So they gain that sense of purpose back again, and from that perspective, we can improve their quality of life and, and emotional well being. So it really is a two pronged approach. Um, another thing is, again, the balance exercise. And you spoke about the peripheral neuropathy. And for someone, again, an older person who has peripheral neuropathy and can't feel their feet anymore, they'll have a lot of anxiety around falling over. So that's a really big issue. So we really need to do balance type exercises with them to retrain their ability to have confidence, again, to go out and do the things that they want. And what, rather than withdraw and have really reduced quality of life for, for the rest of their time. It's really important for them. So I mentioned before that referring uh, from a general practice point of view is actually not too, not too difficult. Um, because this is a podcast, I can't show you the Get Healthy um, form, uh, but I'm going to just mention it because people listening, if they haven't come across it, might think it's a problem. It's actually not too bad. It does ask some useful questions that allow us as GPs to be very specific about what we're aiming to um, provide for the patient. And um, the other questions that they ask, which I think are 
really helpful, is they actually want us to do some assessments of the patient to look at their waist circumference and their weight and their height. Now, whilst patients um, may very well have had some of this, the concentration of something that's not the cancer, that is to say, let's go back to looking at you as a whole person, your cardiovascular risks, your general health, is not a bad thing when you think about it. It also asks us to um, identify particular concerns like uncontrolled asthma, angina, COPD, heart failure, blood pressure, um, in order to allow the advisors to ensure that the um, things they're going to coach about are not going to be contrary to the kind of health advice that they're going to get from us, if you understand what I'm saying. Um, it also asks us to uh, be secure in the fact that our referral is appropriate because this is a resource that's coming from the doctor. Now, the patients can self-refer and they fill in something that's obviously not quite so medically significant but does have that kind of information in it. Um, are you? Would you feel comfortable, Philip, for people to use Get Healthy? Hi, oh, yes, uh, uh, very much so. Um, I think the, the more people can engage with their healthcare, we know they people who do that get better outcomes. So this is a great opportunity to uh, have people to do that. Are you happy, um, David, with the kinds of resources that uh, the kinds of coaching that happens with Get Healthy? Do you are you familiar with it? Yeah, I've got some colleagues that offer the service. I, I think any fu government funded service that's available to people is fantastic. It, it provides equity to people who can't afford it. And it's also great for people in rural and remote areas who are unable to see specialized services. Uh, obviously, uh, you don't get the same benefits as you would in a supervised setting, because in a supervised setting, you can do a really thorough and detailed physical assessment, and you can prescribe more, uh, I guess, more complicated exercises. But, you know, the fact that you said it's a free program, uh, people can do it in the comfort of their own homes. It's great, you know, if they're immunocompromised and don't want to go to a gym, it's a benefit. And again, it can really work with an individual and they can gain rapport over their 10 sessions in, in working towards their goals and their physical needs and coach them towards um, different type of benefits that they're striving towards. So I do think overall, it's a fantastic uh, resource and opportunity that the government has invested in. And as you said, some of your patients will benefit from it. Um, but in saying that, some might not benefit as well. The, the distance delivered model uh, is, is not for everyone. Um, so it, it, it will certainly uh, benefit a lot of patients. So, Fantastic. Thank you, David Mizrahi, exercise physiologist. Thank you, Dr. Philip Crispin, haematology oncology specialist. And this is me, Dr. Linda Mann, GP, saying thanks for listening.